20, Exodus chapter 20 this morning. And here's the thing. Can you believe this? We are, we are wrapping up today our study of the Ten Commandments. I know that it kind of feels like, at least for me, you're like, I don't know, it's felt like an eternity. But for me, it feels like this has happened really fast. We've made it through this part of our summer sermon series, and it has been a a real joy. I pray that you have been blessed by this intentional focus on the Ten Commandments. And we're we're going to wrap it up here today. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 20 in just a moment. And and soon, uh, after next week, when Sam Swan is here preaching uh, on August 6th. After that, the following Sunday then, I want to invite you to come back and re-engage because we're going to pick up part two of this Marks of Godliness sermon series, and we're going to go to the New Testament, and we're going to explore the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to be looking at how the fruit of the Spirit and the Ten Commandments make this beautiful connection, this amazing tapestry of what God has uh, desired for his people, marks of godliness. So I'm really looking forward to that. But as we we kind of close this intentional look at uh, Exodus chapter 20, and we we think about the Ten Commandments, I think one of the things that I can't help but wonder is, is kind of what should we do now? Right? Instead of just adding a period after the 10th commandment and then just moving on as if to say, well, that was nice. Instead, what, what I really want to know and, and what I want you to really ponder alongside me is what now? And now that we've set our ears to hear the commands of the Lord, now that we have, and now that we have intentionally said that here in this focus we've, uh, we have come face to face with who God is, my question is, are I wonder what we should do now, what we should do with, with all we've heard and with everything that we've, we've discovered from the Ten Commandments. And one of the things that we've, we've seen week in and week out is this reality that the more we know God, the better we can live our lives in sync with him. And, and the more his truth we grasp, the more of his truthfulness that shines in our lives. And and the Ten Commandments have served as this kind of this roadmap or this guidepost showing us how to walk, how to live this path of freedom and intentionally living for the glory of God. And now, now I think we kind of, we find ourselves at this crossroads. We have a choice to embrace this freedom, this truthfulness in our daily lives. We, we want to be a people who aren't satisfied with merely hearing the word of God. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with that statement? I don't want us to be a church that is merely okay with having just heard the word of God. I want the hearing of the word of God to stir our affections for the glory of God. Amen? Isn't that what you want? I want to encounter God in his word, and I want to be changed from having done it. I want his word to affect my life, my heart, my uh, my attitude. I, I want to behold the attributes of God, and I want it to I want it to shape my very character as well. And that's what the Ten Commandments have have really strove to do in our lives. It's to teach us who God is, what he's like, and and how we can live in him, to embrace this truth. 
We want Calvary Baptist Church to, to passionately pursue God's truth with all our hearts. And we want God's word to shape every aspect of our lives. It's why here at Calvary, we put such an emphasis on the proclamation of God's word. Because we believe that in this moment, right here, in this moment, when we open God's word together, and when God's word is proclaimed, your life can be changed. Not because of my wisdom or, or because of any other preacher's wisdom, but because of the wisdom of God himself. When we open God's word, we believe that it'll change your life. It'll change your whole life. And that's what we hope, that's what we pray for. So it's time for us to, to respond, to respond to what we've heard in God's word, to respond to this calling and, and let our, our freedom in God shine, being a witness to his truth in the world around us. So as we, we think about what it looks like to respond to the Ten Commandments, I think, I think the best place to go is a place that in our individual Bible study we, we probably neglect every now and then, and that's the, that's the verses that immediately follow the Ten Commandments. We typically just kind of isolate the Ten Commandments, and, and we look at them individually, but what happens to the people of God in response to what they hear in the verses that immediately follow the Ten Commandments is really important for our godly application of these verses. So I want you to look with me at verse 18. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. And this is what, this is what the Word of God says. So now, when all the people... So now all the people have received God's Word. They've received these Ten Commandments, right? And this is what happens. It says, now when all the people saw the thunder and the, and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. You ought to underline that. Because their response is so significant in comparison to what they have just heard. This moment right here, here they are. The people were afraid, and they, and they trembled, and they stood far off. This moment teaches us something really significant. It teaches us this reality. That the Ten Commandments should bring about a healthy fear of the Lord in your life. Having just studied each one of these commands, I'd say, what response should we have? There should be a healthy fear of the Lord now that you have encountered who he is in his word. And just think about, just think about what God has been, has been teaching us throughout every one of these commands. Even when these people, they received the Ten Commandments, right? But, but they had limited knowledge in that moment. They had limited knowledge. You and I have much greater knowledge of the redemptive plan of God all the way to the cross and the resurrection and, and new life and new creation. You and I sitting here today understand so much more than they understood the Israelites in this moment. And yet, they were struck with this fear of the Lord, right? They, they trembled in his presence when they, when they heard God's word. They, they wouldn't have in this moment fully grasped the, the full depth of God's law, how, how every single commandment covers what to do and, and what not to do as God's people. They probably didn't have a full understanding of how every single one of these commands goes beyond our actions and and actually addresses our inner thoughts and our, and our inward feelings, heart issues. 
But the Israelites would have understood that, that God was making a strong demand on every part of their life. You understand? They may have not understood everything that you and I see now through a lens of, of Christ-centered redemption. But don't mistake anything about this. They absolutely knew that in the Ten Commandments, God was making an exclusive claim on his people. God wanted every aspect of their life. God is not just concerned with the words you speak. He's not just concerned with the things your eyes see. He's not just concerned with the things your mind thinks. God wants every bit of you from the inside to the outside. That's how much he loves you. That's how much his, his redemption is for you. But make no mistake about it. Like God wants all of you, right? In all of his holiness, God wants all of you totally for himself. God is making an exclusive claim on the affections, the thoughts, the character, the wills and desires of his people. And it was enough to cause them to fear in his presence. It's startling what God is, is wanting from these people. They would have understood that God was making this strong command on every part of their lives. God wants their complete devotion he, he wants their time. He wants their relationships. He wants their belongings. He, he even wants their innermost desires. God wants their whole lives to be dedicated to him. And that's a startling reality. When the Israelites first heard the Ten Commandments, they weren't like, well, that's nice. What's for lunch, right? We don't find this. this is why verse 18 and, and 19 are so important and they're, and they're so critically important for your own interpretation and application of the Ten Commandments because they don't just hear this. They didn't just come to service before Moses. Moses gives them the Ten Commandments and they're like, that's nice. That's nice. Who wants coffee? They were struck by the word of God. And I'm struck by that. They were struck by the word of God. They were undone, so to speak. They were aware in this moment of the transcendent holiness of God in comparison to their own sinfulness and, and brokenness, their own inward desires and, and thoughts. And, and they're here and then they're in this moment and it says that they're, they're trembling before God. They're shaking before his word. They realized that God was providing a holy standard for every aspect of life. And that truth filled them with fear and awe. And we're going to talk more about fear here in just a moment. But you know, I can't help but to, to read their response there. And to think that, that this God that they're encountering in this moment is the same God that we worship today. Do we understand that? This God that caused them to tremble at his holiness, this God that caused them to shake at his word, this God that caused them to be in, in complete awe of who he was, completely undone by his holiness. I think about Isaiah and, and how he just falls before the presence of the Lord and says, who am I but a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips, right? There is this sense of absolute undoneness in the presence of the holiness of God. And I wonder if, we, if we've lost that. 
mean, this is the same God of yesterday. It's the same God as today. And yet we often treat his word flippantly. We're fine to come here and, and hear his word, or we're fine to read it every now and then, but I'm, I'm, I'm serious. When was the last time you were shook by something in the word of God? When was the last time that the word of God ran up against a thought that you had or a sinful tendency in your life or, or the sense of emptiness in your life? When was the last time that the gospel came up against this emptiness and brought you relief or brought you fear or brought you to the moment where all you could do is open your mouth in praise of God alone? Like, have we lost a sense of awe? When it comes to the word of God, the reality that this word of God can change your life because, friends, the word of God offers you life. When was the last time that you were shook by the reality of God in his word? You know, sometimes familiarity with God's word can sometimes lead to a passive attitude towards God's word, right? So many of us are so familiar with the Ten Commandments. We're, we're so familiar with the Ten Commandments. We, we grew up, and, and maybe Grandma and Grandpa had them hanging in cross-stitch in the kitchen, right? I, because my Grandma did. And, and so and maybe they were there, right? And, and they're just kind of always in front of us, and they're so always in front of us that we have them memorized. And in vacation Bible school, when we were six years old, we committed them to memory, right? And, and that's fine. That's good. That's well, but, but I wonder, now that we've seen who God is displayed in every single one of these commands, I mean, now that we've come face to face with not only the reality of who God is, but with the reality of what God demands from his people, that, that God doesn't just want a part of you. God doesn't just want to take up residence in a little corner of your life. God wants all of you. He wants you in totality. He wants every bit of your life. Why? Because he's so deserving. He created you. There's nothing more that you could give your life to than God alone, right? And, and when was the last time that we read these commands and we were just, we were just shook by them? We truly realized, who am I to even try to live like this? God, if this is what you demand, your holiness is so far beyond me. I, I break every single one of these, and I do it not once, but regularly. God, who am I that you would consider me to be your child? Who am I, even me, that God would call me to lead his people? When was the last time that you read these commands and you were just shook to the point that you found yourself saying, I need a savior? Because that's what these people do right in this moment. They realize their great need of a savior not through familiarity with the Ten Commandments, because they were shook by the reality of these commandments. Do you believe these? Do you believe that in these laws, in these commands, you, you see the character of God revealed? Do you believe that every one of these is a claim on your life by the glory of God? Do we shake at God's holiness, his supremacy, his attributes, 
And when we realize this, how could we not be led to, to just worship? When you consider that there's no hidden corner of your heart that God's light doesn't seek to penetrate and change by his gospel and make new by his grace, there's not a single aspect of your being that God does not love and has not brought his redemption into. It's an absolutely awe-inspiring and quite honestly fearful reality. These commandments demand our holiness. And that holiness is based on God's own. I want you to just take a moment to think about that. To consider that reality. The word of God is meant to make us increasingly reliant on God and more aware of his holiness, his righteousness, his goodness, his worthiness. Yet so often... I think we treat God's word like a mere checklist in our lives. When was the last time you were truly affected by the word of God? As the Israelites received God's commands, they recognized that that what they were receiving was God himself, right? That's, That's what they are receiving in this moment. Not just his words, but they're actually receiving God himself. And nothing has changed, friends. Nothing's changed. In 2023, it's still the same. When you, when you come to God's word, listen, you encounter God himself. When you come to God's word, you encounter God himself. And I, I wonder if we truly grasp the holiness and the power in his words and how they shape our lives. Does the word of God move you? Only you can answer that. But I wonder if it's true. I told you that the title of this sermon series was Marks of Godliness. Here's mark number one. Am I affected by the word of God? When I read it, Does it enact change on my life, my attitude, my thoughts, my love for my spouse, the way that I speak to my children? Does, Does it change the way that I see my neighbor, their own possessions or position in comparison to mine? I mean, does the word of God affect you? If you say, I don't know, it's been a long time. I want you to just spend the rest of the sermon in prayer to God. If you desire that the word of God would affect you, if you desire that the word of God would be more revealed to you, I know this, that if you, would, if you will cry out to the Lord, if you will pray to God, he will send his spirit to you. And a chief attribute of the Holy Spirit of God, according to Jesus in John 16, is to remind you of his words and to convict you of their truth, right? So if you will pray right now, I mean it right now, if you will pray, God, I don't know. It's been a long time since I felt you moving in your word. It's been a long time since I was affected by your truth. It's been a long time since I felt like I wanted to just bow before you, since I trembled at your truthfulness. Then I want you to just stop right now and pray to God that he would open your eyes to behold his beauty in his word and truthfulness. And he is faithful to do it. Friends, he is faithful to do it. We are not just going through the motions here. I am not just going through the motions in these moments. We want to encounter God and we want him to change our lives, don't we? 
Do you believe that? I want this church to make that our ambition. Our holy ambition is to come here and say, feed me the word of God and for the word of God to shape our very lives. That's what we want to do. When you come to God's word, you encounter God himself. And I want to know, does his word cause us to tremble at his goodness? That's a true mark of godliness. Now look at what happens in verse 19. Now look at, look at verse 19, because I told you, I told you that they're becoming aware of God's holiness, and they're becoming aware of their own brokenness, and it causes them to do this. Verse 19, and the people said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us lest we die. Wow. Like, I just want you to, to just look at this for just a moment and, and, and consider seriously what they're saying in verse 19. Uh, they, they hear God's word and they, they see his demand for holiness on their lives. And, and they're not, they're not just saying, mm, okay, well, that's nice. I can take some of it, leave some of it. This no, no, no. They say, no, no, Moses, you have to speak to us. And we promise in this moment, we will listen to you, but please don't let God speak to us lest we die. They are so aware of the sovereign holiness of God. God's not playing games. God is true in himself. And God's showing us who he is, and, it's, and he's not our best buddy he is worthy of our worship. He is totally holy. He is completely other than. And, and, and I'm reminded of this illustration that, you know, when, when, people, when people get in trouble in life, when, especially whenever they get in trouble with the law, what's one of the first people that they call? When you're in trouble with the law, you call a lawyer. That's right. When you're in trouble with the law, you call a lawyer because you're too fearful to stand before the judge and represent yourself. You'd be crazy to try to represent yourself. You don't have the wisdom. You don't know the law like a lawyer does. And so you hire a professional to be this mediator between you. That's basically what God's people are doing right here. They're hiring a lawyer. As soon as they come face to face with God in his commandments, they come face to face with their need for someone to stand between them and God. I want to tell you this. That is a mark of godliness. When you read God's word, you, you are supposed to be encouraged. You are supposed to be filled with life. You are supposed to be undone by his holiness. You are supposed to feel all of these things. But, but above all else, you are supposed to feel the weightiness of the holiness of God. That's what you're supposed to be feeling when you encounter him in his word. When you read God's word or you see him revealing himself in the gospel, it should cause you to say, who am I? Who am I? I am in need of a Savior. I am in need of a Savior. That's what God's people are doing in this moment. An appropriate awareness of the holiness of God should always point us toward a need for a Savior. An appropriate awareness of the holiness of God should always point us toward a need of a Savior. If this is who God is, and, and this is what I'm like, I need someone to stand between us. See, the Ten Commandments reminds us that we need a mediator. 
We need someone to stand between us and God. If this is who God is and this is what God demands and I know what I'm like, then I need someone that can advocate for me between me and God. It leaves us longing for a mediator and it kind of ignites our longing for a superior one to come because you and I know the story and we know Moses and we know that he's kind of a failure at leading God's people. He's not even allowed to go into the promised land. And so that leaves us saying, well, if Moses Moses couldn't even be this great mediator. Is there one better? Absolutely there is. In Jesus Christ, I want to tell you this today. We have that perfect mediator. Uh, We have this perfect one that stands between us and a holy God, and he flawlessly represents both us and the Father. Jesus represents you And the Father, that's why the Savior has to be both God and man. That's why Moses couldn't do it. David couldn't do it. That's why only Jesus alone is to be sufficient as your Lord and Savior. Amen to that, right? Like it's Jesus plus nothing that brings your redemption, that brings your salvation. And it's only because Jesus could represent you and the Father completely. Jesus is the one and only mediator that we'll ever need. The scripture says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all men. You see, unlike the law, Jesus came to save us, accomplishing what what the Ten Commandments couldn't do due to our sinful nature. None of us keeps every one of the Ten Commandments, not even one of them perfectly, And our salvation comes through the grace of God alone, and that that grace comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If you know Christ today, you're not bound to keeping the Ten Commandments as a way of earning God's salvation. You have God's salvation all by grace and faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the incredible thing. You've been saved or redeemed for a purpose, just like the Israelites You've been saved, you've been redeemed to glorify God, to glorify the God of our salvation. And we do that by knowing his character and following his word. So obedience is our way of expressing our love and gratitude to God. We keep the Ten Commandments because in them we see what God is like. We desire to be like the God of our creation. We know that these are defining marks of his character. And because of our love for him and our gratitude toward him, we seek to live in obedience to them. It's like Jesus said, if you love me, you'll show it by obeying what I say. And with Jesus as our advocate, here's the promise that Jesus brings. I want you to look at verse 20. Moses said to the people, now notice this, the the flow of verse 18, 19, and 20 is so remarkable, right? Here the people are, they're undone by God, they they see him, they fall on their face, they say, ah, we're not even worthy to be in God's presence. Moses, you, you speak to us because if he does, we'll be dead in a moment. He's so holy, he's so good, he's so powerful. Look at what, look at what Moses says. Look at what the mediator says. He said, Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you. You ought to underline, do not fear. 
for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you so that you may not sin. You know what's really interesting? The fear of God brings this incredible realization. On the one hand, we understand that we're, we're unworthy to be in God's presence. Every single one of us. Like, like, who are we to stand before a holy God? But then, on the, on the flip side of that, it hits us that God actually designed us to be in his presence. Did you know that? Hey, who are we to actually be in God's presence, and yet God created you to be in his presence? God wants you to be in his presence. That's how much God loves you. He, he loves you so much that God doesn't stand with you at arm's length and say, I'm holy, I have nothing to do with you. His holiness compels him to action to bring you into his presence. You were made to be in fellowship with God. Did you know that? You, we, we've said this time and time again, but you were created for a purpose. And so many times as life goes on, we can say, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what this is all about. You were created to be in fellowship with God. That's why you exist. You are alive today to know God and to enjoy him forever. That is why you have breath. That is why you have life. You live today to glorify God and, and to be in his presence and that's a startling reality as well, that God designs us to be in his presence, and yet because of his holiness, we can't just enter into his presence flippantly. He made us for this purpose, though. And here's the thing. Deep down in our hearts, we won't find true peace, true relief from our fears, until we find peace in God alone. It's like there's this restlessness inside of us, this longing to be close to him. And it's only whenever we embrace that connection that our hearts find the, the peace that they crave. You know, someone may say, but, but I thought that we just said that the Ten Commandments are supposed to induce a sense of fear of the Lord. Yes, absolutely. You should tremble at the Lord's word. You should fear God when you read the Ten Commandments. You should. But see, there's a difference between fear that causes someone to run away and fear that draws a person near. When, when Bo, my, my youngest son, was born, about a, a, a month, he was one month old, um, he developed some severe lung infections, and he couldn't breathe, and we were getting really worried, and he was actually diagnosed with, with several different infections, respiratory infections, and uh, nights were scary. We would, we would sit up with him. We would lose sleep because our son couldn't breathe, and, and finally they, they admitted him into the hospital, and he was there for multiple days. And, and I remember as a father that, that loves my son so much that I was so scared. I was so afraid. And I remember that fear that I had. And I remember all the emotions and the things that I was thinking. And, and I remember looking at his little one-month-old body as a doctor was over the top of him, helping him to breathe. And I remember standing in that moment, and I was so afraid. But there's nowhere else on earth I would have been but in the presence of my son in that moment. 
You see, there is a difference between fear that causes you to flee and fear that draws you ever nearer. I, as a loving father, wouldn't have been anywhere else but in the presence of my son, and it was fear, total fear, that kept me by his side every minute, every hour. And that's the kind of fear that we're seeing in this moment. That's the kind of fear that the truth of the Lord should bring to your life. The word of God makes us realize his holiness and, and his glory. And we should, be, we should be so filled with fear of God. But that fear isn't intended to drive his people away. It, it should cause us to come nearer to him. Like, if this is who God is, I, I need him. He must protect me. If this is who God is, I can't live this life on my own. If this is who God is, I must be near him. I must know him. That's what the word of the Lord is supposed to do in your life. It's supposed to cause you to not say, checked it off, I was there. You're supposed to be afraid when you come to the Lord's word, but that fear draws you ever nearer to him because this is who God is. This is how much he loves you. And God loves you so much that he would speak to you. And Moses, their mediator in this moment, he says, do not fear in a way that drives you from God's presence or in a way that discourages you from living in him. This is, this is what Moses is meaning. He says, instead, know this, God has come to test you. Now, what does that mean? God has come to test you. When, when you and I think of tests, it's a, kind of a discouraging thing, right? At least it is for me. Had you have known me in school, you would know that tests are a very fearful thing. As a matter of fact, the fear of tests is a fear that drove me away, Right? but not here in this moment. Actually, it's, it's really amazing. This verb, this Hebrew verb for test, carries the idea of gaining experience, receiving guidance, and getting training. That's what real tests do, right? Tests offer us valuable experience. They show us the way. They, they help us grow. And guess what? That's exactly what God is doing in the Ten Commandments. It is a test. The Ten Commandments are a, a God-given test for your life. You should look at it as a test. You should examine it as a test because it's being offered to you by the grace of God. And if we take these commands and we apply them to our lives, they, they become a guide for us. These, these commands show us how to live in harmony with God and with our neighbors. This is, this is what it looks like. So here's the thing. The formula is, is really simple whenever you consider the Word of God or the, the Ten Commandments. The formula is really simple. Here it is. First, we worship God and follow His commands. Second, we let those commands lead us to live rightly with others. Third, we keep them ever before us to stay away from sin. And finally, when we do this, we truly are living life to the fullest of God's intent. Every single one of these commands show us something beautiful about God and something amazing about ourselves created in God's image. As we close here and we close this, this study on the Ten Commandments, here's what I want to do really quick. I want to point out two things that we can remember, two things that we can apply, and I'll do it quickly. But the first thing that I want you to know, and if you're a note taker, you can write this down. 
The first thing that I want you to remember as we leave the Ten Commandments together, I want you to remember what the Ten Commandments have taught us about God. Who's the main character of the Ten Commandments? God. Oh, my, oh my gosh, Gallery. Well, there's so much more life here today. Let's try it again. Who's the main character of the Ten Commandments? God. God. Sunday school answer. God, Jesus. Yes, he is. That's exactly right. Yeah, every single one of these commands is just teaching us of the character and the attribute of God. The most significant thing about the Ten Commandments is God. The first thing he does is announce his own identity. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And every single one of the Ten Commandments is a window into God's character. Calvary, remember this. Remember above all else that the Ten Commandments reveal to you the character of God. And here's how they do it. I'll have them up on the screen. Commandment number one. God deserves all of your heart. He will not compete with your, for your affection. Commandment number two. God is alive. He's jealous for his glory. And he desires steadfast love from his people. Commandment number three. God is worthy of respect and honor. Commandment number four. God loves his children and invites us to find rest in him. Commandment number five, God values family structure and designed it to be a picture of his love, security, and acceptance. Commandment number six, God is a God of life. And God values all human life and every person is made in God's image. Commandment number seven, God is faithful. He values commitment and fidelity especially in the marriage covenant. Commandment number eight, God is generous and is not greedy. He values hard work and personal property. Commandment number nine, God is truth. And God values truth in his people. And commandment number 10, God is content. And I love that. God is content. And he leads his people to find contentment in him. He meets the needs of his children. Every one of the Ten Commandments teaches us the truth of God's character. And friends, he is so worthy, isn't he? He's so worthy. Obeying the Ten Commandments is a way of participating in the very character of God. And if you love God and you desire to know him and to be with him, then these, these things are, are what you'll pursue because this is him. This is what God is like. Peter said this. He said, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Why should you be holy? Because it's the right thing to do, because it makes me better than my neighbor, because I, I get a lot of respect from people in the church. When I, no, 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 no. You should be holy because your God is holy. That's it. It's not about anybody else. It's all about God. It's all about God. Everything. Your, your whole life is all about God. You ought to be holy because God is holy. 
and you want to be with, and you want to be like him. His law teaches us the beauty and the perfection and the sweetness of God's character. So remember first and foremost what the Ten Commandments teaches us about God. Secondly, and finally, remember what the the Ten Commandments have taught us about ourselves. First, what it teaches us about God. Second, what it teaches us about ourselves. Every one of these commandments is like a window into our own hearts. They show us what kind of heart God desires from us, and it's teaching us how to live as his people. For example, here's an example. When God tells us to steer clear of false gods, in that moment he's also, he's also telling us to wholeheartedly choose him as the only true God, to give him the ultimate place of, of honor and glory in our lives as Lord and King of our lives. It's like, it's like these commandments become a, a microscope zooming into our heart's conditions. They, they reveal, every single one of them, reveal our selfishness, our fears, our lack of trust, our anger issues, whatever it may be. And that's okay. You know what? God doesn't leave us stuck in these ways. God wants to free us from this unhealthy lifestyle because that's not really living at all. Realizing that something's broken is the first step in fixing it and and rebuilding it, and that's where repentance comes in, right? The Ten Commandments should lead us to repentance. Every time that I encounter these commands, I should be aware of God's holiness, but, uh, but my own awareness of my own of my own sinfulness and how I've fallen short, it shouldn't, shouldn't leave me saying, oh, woe is me. It should lead me in repentance, saying, but God, thank you for your grace. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be a slave to any one of these sins. I, I, I want to be freed from this, and, and that is what God's goal is, is to ultimately free you, and that's what he's doing. We see what's wrong and we turn to God through Christ to help us make things right. It's, it's like a, a journey of transformation. When we embrace God's way, we experience a profound change in our hearts, in our lives, in our attitudes, and it's all done by his grace. And we find the, the freedom to live how we were meant to live. Every one of these Ten Commandments charts a new path to walk by God's grace. For example, you shall not steal guides us into generosity, fairness, uh, faithful promises, etc. In in this life, we can walk this path imperfectly, and we will. There will be times, sometimes even unknowingly, that that we will be guilty of of stealing, or we'll be guilty of something, and, and we'll come face to face with that reality, but we're not supposed to be stuck without hope, without grace. We're supposed to See the grace of God revealed to us in his redemption. In this life, we will walk this path imperfectly, but visibly. And we don't, we don't obey these Ten Commandments to earn God's approval, but because in him, specifically in Jesus, we have freely received God's approval. Jesus, as our upgraded Moses, accomplishes what we could never accomplish on our own. Jesus is our guide. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus provides us the test, and Jesus is with us to provide every answer. 
Jesus is our guide, leading us out of spiritual slavery, breaking the chains of sin. And it's all by faith. When we trust in Christ, he becomes our redeemer. And he sets us free from the sin that weighs us down. And he can be your redeemer, and and I hope that he is your redeemer today. But he's not just the God of your redemption once. He is forever if you know him. And here's the best part. All by his amazing grace, Jesus showers us with his love and mercy, and it sets us free. Can you believe it? Jesus is the ultimate freedom bringer for us. And all we need to do is put our hope in him, commit afresh to following his lead, and yes, to obedience in his word. It's a journey of faith and freedom. So embrace what Jesus offers with open hearts and experience the absolute freedom that Jesus brings. That's my hope for you. Jesus said, I am the way, truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Believe in him, Calvary Baptist Church. Trust in him alone. Give your life to the God of your life because there's nothing else worth living for. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, for its truth, for your grace, for its power. God, we thank you that at your word, Lord, we tremble because we realize that you are holy and we are not, because we realize that you are sovereign and, and we are not, that you are, you are infinite and we are finite. We, we realize that you are good and, Lord, you do good all the time. And, and God, it causes us to, to get down on our knees and say, God, we want your goodness. We desire your grace. We want to follow you in obedience to you, not because it's the right thing to do, but because you are worthy of it, God. You are worthy of our love. You are worthy of our affections. You are worthy of all of our praise and all of our prayer. God, you are amazing. And we thank you that in the Ten Commandments, we come face to face with how good you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen.